You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. Hey guys, what's up? It's Bill Dawes. I'm here with uh, my producer, as always, Tommy Wakefield. Say hi, Tommy. Hey, hey, how's it going? So uh, while Tommy was twirling away in the little uh, sort of dungeon of the Laugh Factory production office, I was out in Colombia. I think that's how you pronounce it, Colombia. Colombia. I was doing a hike into Ciudad Perdida, which is a lost city discovered in the 70s. And, uh, you know, just trying to find myself, man. And while I was doing that, Tommy was here holding down the fort, releasing episodes for no money. So uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we should give you your Venmo. Anyway, uh, this episode uh, is with a woman named Sarah Halstead, who is a comic. She had me on her podcast called Jimmy and Sarah Live on the Sunset Strip and uh, at the Comedy Store Rival Club. Um, <laughs> so what we do now as comics is like we, we trade off podcasts. That's how we communicate now. And uh, she brought her, her boyfriend, uh, Jeffrey Greenstein or Greenstein. Greenstein's funner to say. Greenstein's funner to say. I think it's Greenstein. Stein I think, is more likely. I think in the podcast he goes, it's Greenstein. And he gave me that look. Uh, no, but he's, uh, it's amazing. They're, this is actually the first sort of couple that we've had that we've interviewed on the show and they've been together for two years. And so we asked him a lot of questions about what it's like dating a comic. Can you talk about your penis on stage? And he said, <laughs> yes. And, uh, it didn't hurt Pete Davidson, right? Anyway, um, so, uh, but they're great. So Jeffrey, he was a showrunner on, uh, on Desperate Housewives and Will and & Grace and a writer on Friends. And he's like an amazing sort of iconic TV writer that he just, luckily we got him on the show. He's got some amazing stories. Um, and Sarah Halstead, she's also a, a great comic and their relationship is really cool. So um, this is kind of like midway point of our season right now. I just want to say, hey, check in. If you have questions or requ- I'm give uh, Tommy some more unpaid work to do. If you have requests for a comics or personalities that you want on the show or you have questions we're going to do a mailbag episode coming up send those questions to tom at laughfactory.com that's tom, tom at laughfactory.com i like what my voice sounds good now because i was like in the woods smoking yeah. a lot of fucking weed by the way i was i brought a bunch of california's finest right. into columbia and and we would go to camp i'd be like hey guys what's up and i'd take out the little uh the joints and they're yeah, like, oh yeah. my god you smuggled weed into Columbia like, <laughs> whatever man I don't care I'm cool that way and so we smoked weed in the camp that's so funny S- smuggling weed into Columbia into, so check it out so on the way back into America from right. Columbia I got attacked by dogs sure yeah and they were all over me I had to like everything but like an anal cavity search <laughs> because they smelled the weed that I'd smuggled in eight days previous right I'd had weed on me for four days but but the dogs are so attuned to the smell that they were like stiffing my butt and my shoes and um and I had to like I was against the wall I was on my phone put your phone down you yeah. won't go to jail damn didn't find the coke though didn't find the coke luckily thank God luckily by the way there are coke whatever the plants are that you make coke from are they called coke plants <laughs> <laughs> I don't cacao cocoa cocoa whatever the fuck those plants were everywhere on this uh, trek Dang. on this hike I, everywhere They're, they were like oh the indigenous people just go and they eat the little leaves and chew them in for energy. 
So just chewing the leaf has some chewing, kind of effect. Chewing the leaf apparently has some kind of effect. I don't know. But they were supposed to have burned them all down, but obviously they don't. And somebody's harvesting these coke plants. We should do an in-depth investigation. Anyways, <laughs> my voice sounds really fucking cool, like I'm a world traveler. Anyway, so if you have questions you want to ask me or Tommy, <laughs> Tommy, you still single? Uh, yeah. So any girls want to date Tommy? He's, he's, he's quite, a lot of girls have been talking about how cute he is. Uh, send in a picture and three facts about yourself. <laughs> so send any questions, Tom at Wakefield, Tom at Wakefield, Tom at LifeFactory.com, and hopefully we'll have some good questions from you guys <laughs> and your requests for comics or personalities or it could be anybody. You know, who knows? We'll get we'll we'll, we'll talk to anybody. Um, <laughs> and weed suggestions that will make the show funnier. We'll take that too. Anyway, enjoy uh, Jeffrey Greenstein and Sarah Halstead. It's the after left, after left. Welcome to the after left, after left, after left, after left, man. (laughs) Go ahead, pull up a chair. (laughs) Okay, so hey, it's Bill Dawes. Welcome to the after left. I have a a first here today. I have a couple. I have not had a couple on the podcast. I'm very excited about this. Uh, I have a new friend, uh, Sarah Halstead who is a, a comic, mostly works at the Comedy Store. Yes. Which is the rival club to the Laugh Factory. We won't hold that against you. <laughs> and we have her boyfriend, Jeff Greenstein, who has a, been a TV writer for 35 years. And I imagine you could just name drop all sorts of amazing shows, and we'll get to that. Oh, believe me, he will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Oh, already we got, we, got the couples, we got the couple dynamic. I love it. I love it. All right. So first of all, let's, let's talk about how you guys met. How did that come about? Um... Well, we met on my original podcast, my previous podcast, Drinking During Business Hours. And were you, you were a comic when you were doing that? I was a comic, yeah. and I've been a wine rep for, well, I've been in the wine business for 16 years intermittently. And I was like, well, how do I, how do I merge my, I, my life was so compartmentalized and exhausting because I was trying to like, you know, continue with the wine thing and doing comedy and acting and I was like, I'm just going to do a, a podcast, and I'm, I'm going to make it about wine, but it's not really about wine. I want to interview entertainers and talk about their journey over a great bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I had an author on my podcast. She invited me. We became fast friends. That's the great thing about, I said earlier, being yeah. a podcast host, you just, it really does nothing but enrich your life in terms of relationships. Yeah. So I, I made fast friends with this author. She invited me over uh, for dinner, and Jeff was at dinner, and uh, we flirted. And um, <laughs> I said, hey, because this was my line, hey, you want to be on my podcast? That was how I picked up <laughs> right. people. Yeah. And um, he said yes, and here we are. That's, oh. Yes, that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> and so when you saw her right away, you were like, did you, was it, I always, I'm always curious about the idea of love at first sight or attraction at first sight or whatever that means. Was it something right away there was attraction that was like, well, I mean, I was this our mutual friend invited, um, you know, invited me to this dinner. I did not know that she had an eye toward kind of making a connection. Oh, so she it was kind of no a setup. That that okay, was kind of, yeah. And, we didn't know. And Sarah showed up kind of some ways into the evening, and so she kind of made an entrance. I didn't want to go. <laughs> yeah, that's always tired. how it starts. Like you weren't yeah. supposed to go, and then you went. I, I, it was raining. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I've and been so performing. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm beat to shit. I feel like shit. I just, 
Yeah. yeah. But there's like five or six of us at this table and we're having dinner and so forth. And Sarah comes in and she sits down opposite me. And I'm like, oh, look at this. Yeah. Look what just walked in. Yeah. <laughs> um, gosh, you're interesting. And the conversation that evening was great. Like it wasn't just that Sarah and I hit it off. It was just a really, really good yeah. conversation. But at this point, I don't know. Does she have a boyfriend? And like I'm dating and like, I don't know. I don't <laughs> want to be that guy. But then she said she learned about my, you know, I'm a television writer and director. And so she said, oh, I'm, I'm, I have this podcast. I would love to have you on the show. And so I was like, okay. I didn't know if that was like, come see my etchings. I didn't know if it was that. <laughs> I was like, okay. And, then and how long ago was this? This was about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, so podcasts yeah. were already, weren't like a weird thing. Like, what is a podcast? No, sorry, right. Like, yeah. I mean, no. yeah. I, I don't know how to say this without sounding disgusting. I get interviewed about my work regularly. Yeah, well, you've been, no, that? it's not. No. You've been doing TV for 35 yeah. years. Yeah. So let's just give, just so people have a, so people okay. are probably Googling right now, but give us your bona fides, not to be the, the, gross by saying no, that. No, but no, yeah. no. He's, he's The, an the icon. short version is uh, Friends, Will and Grace, and Desperate Housewives. I've heard of those. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I wrote for all three of those shows. I haven't okay. seen any of them. No. <laughs> <laughs> now I watch, yeah. but. Yeah. So, yeah, I started as a TV writer <laughs> in the early 90s. What was your first show? It was an HBO series called Dream On. I remember Dream On. It was with a comic. That's right. It was, what was the guy's name again? Uh, Well, Brian Bemden was the star. Jeff Joseph was the co-star for Uh a while. Then Dorian Wilson. uh, Let's see. Denny Dillon, who had been on SNL. uh, Wendy Malick. um, What else? Anyway, so that was my first job in TV. You know what's interesting about Dream On? I so I was a ch- I was a young young boy when I was watching that, and not to like I'm so much yeah whatever. I was not that young, no, but I remember yeah. watching that, and it was kind of like, oh my god, I'm watching something that's a little yeah, bit ra- very gay. Yeah, and uh, I related to it right away because it was about a guy, and I'm probably mutilating this, but who because of his parents jobs or whatever, he was kind of raised by TV. That's right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's so exactly everything kind of was so, his. The way that he would relate to other people kind of was filtered through his experience That's of right. how people did it on TV. Yeah. And I remember thinking, my mom, I, I, my mom hopefully will never listen to this podcast, <laughs> but my mom was a drunk, as we have the bottle of wine. And yeah. so my mom, uh, I was kind of raised on TV too. Yeah. So the scenes where he's sitting in front of the TV, listen, I was like, wow, that's actually how yeah. I kind of learned how to relate to people yeah, as well. Yeah, the inner life of the character was depicted by clips from old TV shows. Yeah, which was great, which has never been done before yeah. or, or uh, I, Since? Yeah, I never. I, I think there have been movies in, that have interpolated, like I guess Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid kind of had like something like I've actually never seen that movie. Yeah, but anyway, either. so that was my first TV job, and uh, the team that created that show went on to do Friends, and so I did that show with them. And so those are your first two jobs. Those are my first two <laughs> jobs. Yeah. I. I you know, I know. it's so funny. Every once in a while, I get somebody like I had John Henson on uh, the podcast, and John Henson was like. Yeah, so I just, you know, my first thing, I just auditioned. My first audition was Talk Soup. No. <laughs> and then Talk Soup. And then yeah. then they wanted me for this wipeout thing. And it was like, every, I was like, did you ever fail? Some people. Did anything ever happen that was just meant bad? to be? Well, I'm it was skipping some know. stuff. I mean, I was, I freelanced as a TV writer before I got staffed. And so I worked on a lot of shows that aren't as cool as what I just described. I mean, I wrote an episode of Mr. Belvedere. I wrote uh-huh. an episode of Charles in Charge. I would have been yeah. happy with either of those. Yeah. And okay. I could have, like, I could have died happy. Co-star. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so, so then I, you know, I went from, I just hopscotched from one show to another. So yeah, you, you dream on the same team, work with Friends. You wrote for Friends for how long? I was on. I was only on Friends first season because I wrote a pilot with my then writing partner during that year that uh, got picked up by the Fox Network called Partners. Partners which was with John Cryer and Tate Donovan. Oh, I remember Marie that Patillo. one too. Yeah, only ran for one year, but it was a really, really good show. Yeah, and so I did that, and then that show 
Um, yeah, it got canceled after one season. Uh-huh. And then my then partner and I created a show called Getting Personal, which was with Dwayne Martin and Vivica Fox and uh-huh. John Cryer. Yeah. And that led to the breakup of our partnership. Um, and what? Then well, can you talk that, about that? Ooh, uh, scandal. Eh, we wanted different things. They're friends now. They're <laughs> We're friends, friends now. now. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. We wanted different things. And then f- I got uh, recruited to join the staff of Will and Grace uh, during episode four uh-huh. of that show. And how long of a break was that between those projects? Um, between the end of Getting Personal and the start of uh, yeah. Will and Grace, it was about six months. Jesus um, Christ. Six months you struggled. Well, it was. <laughs> I was. Uh, I don't want to make this about me. This well, we're, 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 we okay. have. This is a long form okay. thing, so we're, no we'll sweat. get to everything. Okay, so uh, I, because of the circumstances of my uh, breakup with my partner, I was concerned I might never work again. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And then James Burroughs. Does that name mean something? Of to course. You? Yeah. So Jimmy Burroughs had done uh, Friends, and he had done Partners, and he knew that I was. He knew my writing, and so he. Um, brought me in on Will and Grace to help the team that created it, Max Mushnick and David Cohen, uh-huh. run the show. And then I stayed there for seven years. Oh, wow. Um, and I ended up running the show with those guys okay. for four of those years until they left. Uh, and then I run, ran the show with a really great writer, Joni Marchinko. She and I ran the show in seasons five and six, and then I left. Uh-huh. Um, to was that the end of the – that wasn't the end of the series. You no, left wasn't for the end. something I else. I tend to get out before the end. Yeah. Um, I left Dream On before the end. I left Will and Grace before the end. Um, and then I went from Will and Grace to Desperate Housewives. Um, I got recruited for that show. Um, that was my first time working on a one-hour drama. Uh-huh. And so I worked on that show for three years, and then I left. And then I did one season of Parenthood, uh-huh. which was really yeah. interesting, yeah, but was not really in- ideally suited to my sensibility. Uh-huh. And so then I went back to Desperate Housewives as a writer and then also as a director. And so I directed four episodes over the final two seasons of that show. And since the end of Desperate Housewives, it's sort of divided my time between writing and directing. Yeah. So uh, is there something you're working on right now, currently? Yeah, I have a new show that I can't tell you a ton of details about Mm -hmm. because the deal's still being negotiated. But I'm working on a one-hour drama for uh, Cable that I'm going to write and maybe direct. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I want to know about the difference between writing for Cable and particularly nowadays, like network is a, is a sort of a different venue than it was probably when you were coming up. Because yeah. it seems like a lot of the really good writers, they probably want to write for cable. They want to write streaming or Netflix or because it gives you more freedom, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, for me, I actually love network television. And a lot of the shows that I direct, like this past year I directed Happy Together, the Daniel uh-huh. Mance Jr. thing. I directed uh, The Neighborhood, you know, yeah. Cedric and Max Greenfield. Um, I love network TV. I just I absolutely love it. But the demands of network TV for a writer are much, much greater. And, you know, Friends was a job that was – we rewrites would typically go until 3 and 4 in the morning, 6 and 7 days a week. And the demands are just not – I'm just not up for it. Yeah. And in cable, yes, not only is there certain amounts – you know, you can be creative in a different way, but you can tell – more compact stories you don't have to make 26 of them a year yeah the thing that i'm working on is designed to be 10 episode seasons so that's great so i can write more of them which Mm -hmm. is nice and it's more the storytelling is more novelistic that's appealing to me so it's not that i got any knock against network television if i had a great network television shaped idea i'd take it to networks yeah i really believe in broadcast tv yeah um but i like one of the things i've liked to do over my career is i like to do everything yeah, I that's like what it sounds yeah, like. I don't like to get stuck doing just one thing. And you, you, so you went from being a writer to being a, a showrunner to being a director. What what one 
to use a, a Dan Cook term, fills up your dick the most. What, oh. What's the one? That would be me, Bill. That would be me. I know it's you, other than you. Wow, that's a great expression. Um, I often say that for me, um, directing is the methadone and writing is the heroin. Oh, wow. Um, What does that mean? I describe that. uh, In other words, directing is a drug that I can use to sort of, that's an adequate substitute for writing. Yeah. um, But it doesn't quite give me the high or the desperation of writing. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense because well, because you're writing, you are the progenitor of, of yeah. every of everything. You're creating a world, yeah, that and, no one's seen before. And writing for me is more terrifying. It's more painful. It's more personal. Mm-hmm. It's more self-lacerating. There's yeah. just a lot of really bad adjectives I could use. Yeah. But it's also really, really rewarding because, as you said, you think the thing up. Yeah. Like you start with a blank page and you think something up. And um, and you start writing with partners and yeah. now you just write on alone? Now, I, yeah, now I do. Yeah. Now I do. For the, that, now, and this is going on almost 20 years. Like, more of my career has been spent without a partner than with one. Um, and... Yeah, so it's solitary, which is strange, you know. And uh, anyway, so yeah, so what fills my dick up? It's probably writing. Yeah. I mean, in this case, I'm, I have had the opportunity over the years to have a couple of opportunities to direct stuff I've written, which is super cool. Yeah. I, a couple of Desperate Housewives that I wrote, I also got to direct. There was a BBC series that my friend Bob Cushell created called Way to Go, which I got to write and direct an episode. That seems to be the, the path for me going forward. That's yeah. That's what I really like to do. Y- y- I do... I do um guest stars and co-stars and a lot of times a lot of directors they just kind of hop in to the series maybe their first time directing and i have noticed that sometimes if you have a show with a lot of stars the director is kind of like i don't know say kind of like the bitch to the stars because because well sometimes the directors go okay you're going to walk over the actors like i'm not going to i'm going to stay here and do it here and i'm going to be drinking a beer and they're like okay flying in a beer (laughs) uh, for this and they kind of don't feel like they have the the wherewithal or the power to kind of sort of s- override what the stars want. I don't know if that's like a new thing or that's kind of like it just depends. I mean, in TV, in a lot of cases, you're director of the week. Sometimes yeah, exactly. You're only there for five days and then you're gone. And they're gone. You don't and know anybody when you yeah. start, and these are big stars. Yeah, and so you kind of shuttle in and out, and so it's a it's a challenge because on one hand, you want to bring your own you know, creativity and your own point of view and your own experience, your own ideas. Yeah. But you're also not going to wrestle the show into being something that it's not. Yeah. And you also have to respect the fact that you're a short timer and the actors are long timers. Yeah. And they ultimately outrank you and the showrunner outranks all of you. Yeah. So, I mean, I did uh, a lot of the first two seasons of Mom with Chuck Lorre. Great who show. Is brilliant, brilliant yeah, of writer. And obviously, I think knows more about half-hour comedy than any of us will ever know. I mean, yeah. he's... In the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. Um, and sometimes he would have ideas that run exactly counter to what my ideas were, and I have to kind of defer in a way. I mean, I want to show him my best stuff, but at the same time, it's like, this guy has created half a dozen massive hit shows. Yeah. And so it's like, I want to give him ideas. I don't want to be so backfooted that I'm just a passive sort of traffic cop. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not going to like... I'm not going to one-up this guy. Yeah. You know, I have to be respectful of the fact that this guy knows his stuff. Yeah. And so we had a great collaboration. It was terrific. I would I would bring my wares to the market, and he yeah. would choose what ideas of mine he liked yeah. or didn't like. And he loved when I pitched jokes on the floor, which was really fun. That's great, So I yeah. got to be a little tiny bit of a writer on that show sometimes. Yeah. Um, 
So, I mean, yeah, you are kind of the actor's bitch at times, but I don't mind that. It's like whatever you want. Go ahead. May I interject for just a second? I I had the pleasure of uh, watching Jeff. Uh, at a couple of multicams, he directed Happy Together uh-huh. and The Neighborhood. And in both instances, I couldn't help but to notice how much the actors respected you. That's nice of you to say. And no, it's it's just the truth. And I think, you know, you have this, this fine line between letting, giving the actors autonomy and making subtle suggestions that only moves them forward within the situation. So I think, you know, it happened with, I mean, Cedric the Entertainer is a very established, yeah. I mean, you know, the actor. entertainer. Yeah. Yes. He's the entertainer, the yeah. ultimate enter- entertainer. And you whispered some notes to him, and he took them. So, well, you like, know. I think if you're a smart director or a smart writer or a smart actor, you'll take a good idea from anybody if it makes you look better, mm-hmm. right? Yes. You know, and if it's a bad idea, bad. my experience in writer's rooms over the 30-something years I've been doing it, is the bad ideas fall away of their own accord. Yeah. You know, it's just like I assume the uh, the analogy is as a stand-up. If you try something a couple of times and it doesn't work, it falls out of the set. You're not going to do it anymore. Yeah. And in a writer's room, if you pitch something twice and it doesn't get a laugh and it doesn't stick and no one else pitches on it, it falls away. Yeah. And so my attitude as a director is I'll give you a zillion ideas. If I say to you, like, to use your analogy, all right, I want you to get up and cross. Yeah. And the, right, and the actor says, I just want to sit here with a beer. I'm like, all right, let's try it that way. Yeah, let's, let's try see it. How it let's just That's try always it a good way. Let's try it. Yeah. Let's see how it feels. You might be right. Sometimes what happens is they'll try it their way, and they'll go, mm, you know what? Let's see what happens if I get up and cross. Yeah. Or there's a new idea. Like, let's see if what happens if she comes over and grabs my hand and drags me across the room. Yeah. So there's some new idea that, and it's like, to me, the job of a TV director is just to create a space where, despite the time pressure and despite all of the restrictions that you have in terms of creativity, because the characters are established and the sets are established and you're working with a script, you're trying to create a space where everyone can invent and play yeah, and feel like it's theirs. I never try to impose a choice on yeah. anybody. Like, why would you? It's just dumb. I'm not yeah. going to tell Cedric the Entertainer how to be funny. Yeah. But it's like, I can say to him, you know what? Why don't you try sitting on that line and then get right back up, as, you know, and just see what yeah. that's like. See what yeah. it feels like. Make a compromise. Yeah, that that must trying. be a skill that you have to learn after a while as well, working with actors. Well, in terms of talking to actors? Yeah. 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 But it's all about being easy. Yeah. You know, I always, there's this line from Thomas Pinchon, like, be cool, but care, you know? Mm, and I always think about, like, it's about maintaining that proper grip on the steering wheel. You yeah. Know, like, not too tight and not too loose. I, I said this on Sarah's podcast. We're going to cannibalize each other a little bit here. But um, so I, I did uh, – my, my foray into acting was theater, was New York theater. That's all right. I ever want to do is be a New York – and maybe win a Tony or an Obie or something at one point. Mm-hmm. And one of my first big shows I did was a play on Broadway called Lombardi that was directed by the very now famous Thomas Kale. Oh, cool. You, yeah. I don't know Tommy Kale, Yeah, right? of course. So, um, and this is like, you know, a multi-million dollar Broadway production. Uh, it's Judith Light and Dan Loria, Chris Sullivan, who's now in This Is so Us. Was it about Vince Lombardi? It was about Vince Lombardi. Okay. They're actually making a movie about it now with Tom Cruise, which oh, I probably cool. shouldn't say, but whatever. <laughs> okay. uh, so, um, and I've aged out of any role that I could possibly be right for, for that. Uh, but, so there was a monologue that my character and I played this guy named Paul Horning, who's a legendary. Uh, sure, Green Bay Green Packers. Bay Packer, yeah. yeah. So, uh. And there was a monologue where he's talking about Vince Lombardi's voice and how he had this like, and I was kind of like, my, I was kind of like, he had like a, like a kind of like a Matthew McConaughey kind of voice, Paul Horning, and uh, 
and it was about this, how he, he yelled at this dog and made this dog run. And it was this long, kind of silly, funny monologue that I got to be a comic and act it out, and it would always do really well. And in the previews, Tommy Kale said, I think we got to cut that scene and replace oh, wow. it with something about free agency and da da da. And we worked on the free agency, and I was like, and I just, God damn, and this is something I've struggled with because sometimes I'm like, no, this is right. We have to do it this way because it's the right way. And giving that over, that feeling over, it's feels hard. like you're yeah. ripping your heart out. So I argued with Tommy. He's like, Tommy, he's like, he said, well, pitch to me why you think it's necessary. And I had basically worked on a pitch for why this monologue was needed. And here we are in this mul- weeks before opening, yeah. this multi-million production. He goes, all right, okay, cool. We'll keep it. And we kept it. And I had fun with it. Three months, it was a nine-month run. Yeah. Three months into it, I was like, oh, this scene is stupid. It doesn't wow. really accelerate the plot. It doesn't really work. He was right. But to his credit, to Tom McHale, who to this day, the smartest person, wow. uh, the best director I've ever worked with, he knew that he goes, I have to have an actor to do this play and get up every morning and be excited, and this is what will make it work. And he was absolutely That's right brilliant. in terms of the integrity of the play. Yeah. And the play probably suffered a little bit because he gave in to me. But it made me so happy for so long to do this stupid monologue <laughs> and do this scene. And I always I always look and, and obviously doing theater, uh, maybe this, I think it's different than TV and film, but particularly when you're doing theater, um, you are back to being bit. You're the bitch of the playwright. And I right. did a play where I played Rudolf Nureyev, who is a gay Russian ballet yeah. dancer. And the playwright wrote this play, and it was heavily flawed. And I kept working with the director to change the lines. So we'd have to contact the writer who's sure. in Chicago. And eventually he flew out because he's like, what the fuck is going on with my play? <laughs> and he, and he, and we got into it. We kind of got into it. I said, this doesn't, this, what you're saying doesn't work. And I was playing Rudolf Nureyev, so I gave myself permission to be the biggest diva in the yeah. fucking world. Was it his second language, the playwright? No, was no, English his no. Second language? He was a professor in Chicago. This was his huh. big break. It was supposed to be off Broadway, and um, uh, he kind of get. And we had a conversation. I remember he goes, "You know what? I, I do listen to actors sometimes." I go, "I got fired from a job because I said actors sometimes have good have good input," and I said, "Okay, well." Um, there is a play, the, the show, not play, musical out right now that was workshopped for six years with the actors. Where they all had input and they all created it. The play is called, the musical is called Hamilton. Right. And that was created by the actors <laughs> yeah. and by Tommy Kale and Lin-Manuel Miranda. And it was a complete collaboration. Because the thing that when I came out as, as, a, as an actor, uh, you know, I went to college at Princeton. So in my head, at least I'm smart. So I'm like, I got ideas too, you know. I know, right. I, know I know what's funny, and uh, and just to have that like being told, well, well you're really just an actor. Mm. Mm, you shouldn't really be creative. Yeah. It really, which is part of the reason why I start st- stand up, by the way, because I kind of felt like, well, let me let me try some shit on my own. So I always say to this day that the best directors and writers are people who can actually, like you said, let's try it. Let's Listen, see. And and, and, yeah. and if it doesn't work, it won't work, and you'll see. But there are so many directors and writers who, who won't even be open to the idea. So it's, it's foolish because, I mean, I made this mistake early in my career as a writer. You know, I would fall in love with 
my own ideas to the yeah. exclusion of everybody else's and and I would already know because I'm so fucking smart like yeah. I'm five chess moves ahead of you so I can tell you why your thing wouldn't work so we shouldn't even consider it yeah um and not only is that just a bad way to be and bad behavior you know as a collaborator but also you lose the sense of like the element of surprise yeah like sometimes uh, you know an actor will say can I just try something and I'm like I'm thinking it's not gonna work and then they do it, and you see it, and you go, oh, well, that's absolutely the right choice. It's yeah. just like what Tommy Cale said to you about, like, cutting that thing. Like, he let you have it, but then you eventually came around to realize, oh, there was a sound reason <laughs> yeah. for this. And you had to just catch up. Yeah. Because maybe you were inside the character and not kind of looking at the whole playing field, right? Of course, of course. But I like those surprises. I mean, to me, that's the fun part. Have you ever had any moments where there's, like, this is not going to, maybe in, in a macro moment, this is not going to work. And an actor pulled a rabbit out of a hat and made something really kind of magical happen that just surprised you. Oh, my God, like, all the time. All the time, yeah. Well, oh, I'm sorry. But well, Matthew ahead. Perry and on Friends. Oh, my God, all the time. I mean, I Matthew Perry story. is, uh, I mean, I happen to blunder into working on a show with six of the most gifted I know, crazy, <laughs> right? actors of their generation. Um, you know, there was a, uh, I can't do this joke because I don't know what the joke is, but but it was it was something where... Um, in the pilot of Friends, there is a moment between Ross and Chandler where Ross is talking about how bad he feels because his marriage has come undone, his wife has left him for another woman, and so forth. And Chandler, and he has this uh, Chandler has this monologue where he's trying to cheer him up. Yeah. And he says um, he starts talking about how relationships are great and they're nourishing, and then you know you grow together and you love together and you forge a, a bond with someone that is so wonderful and then it breaks apart and it kills you and it eats your soul away and that's why we don't do it <laughs> and then the line is scripted was i don't think that was my point uh-huh right yeah so the way matthew does it was da, 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 and that's why we don't do it i don't think that was my point yeah <laughs> now that's completely the wrong line reading yeah. it's completely weird like yeah. nobody talks like that yeah. but matthew is such a genius that that attack on the line got a much bigger laugh because it was surprising yeah and of course that thing like could this be any uh, like that became kind of chandler's signature rhythm and it all arose out of an actor with his own point of view about how to deliver a comedic moment wow that's really I amazing love that story that's I know. such a great story too um, it's great to hear uh, as an actor. Yeah, you know that that it does pay off. Well, let's get let's get you, Sarah. So you you were originally an, an, an actress. Yes, I still or, am. I still am. It's just you know, it's uh, one of those things where um, I've just I've sort of become more of a commercial actor, and I I didn't want to be, but that's become, just you how mean it, booking commercials? Yes. I book commercials. Good for you. It seems to be all I book. Hey, so that's that and like something. really cheesy true true crime reenactment shows for ID. That's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love those shows. As do a lot of people. Actually, they're like closeted. Yeah, you know, they the people that watch the ID are called ID addicts and ID actors, addicts. I've never yeah, heard that. ID addicts and actors who star are called desperate for work. <laughs> so it's <laughs> <laughs> that's my thing. Well, that's great. So have you um. When you, when you do you go to school for acting? Was this I did. I also went to NYU, but I was not matriculated. I you just, did an, uh, undergrad. I, in my in my twenty yes in okay. my twenties I I took four years of acting classes at NYU. The experimental wing, yes. the Stella Adler, whatever it was. Yes, yeah. exactly. So you exactly. got at NYU, and you were you like I want to do theater? Or did you know you want to do theater? I did a shit ton of theater. I did so much theater, 
And I did a lot of commercials, and I did a lot of soaps. We were both on uh, yeah. All My Children, All right? My Children. Oh, is yeah. that right? I don't even talk about You did were on you my guys podcast. Cross that's over? how we know. I played Susan Lucci's gay assistant, Val, okay. on All My Children for several years. And I remember um, uh, I used to use – this is one of my first stand-up jokes that, that worked. It's kind of hacky at the time. But the way that they would style your hair – <laughs> in these soap operas because they're all like trapped in the 80s right they with would give the, me like a kind of tan. like they would like blow dry my hair and i would <laughs> have like this back. kind of quaff and uh <laughs> and i was you know i'm not necessarily the most masculine looking dude on the planet anywhere and one time i'm about to go on stage and I, but i still felt like i'm a good looking guy meanwhile I'm, I, I'm on the show with friggin josh duhamel and cameron matheson <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like but they were so orange uh they were they were more orange than trump <laughs> so i uh and my, my co-star this woman said she was like oh wow your hair I go what she goes you look like Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and it made me laugh and then for like the first two years of doing comedy because I started doing comedy that was like I was on a date with this girl she goes you know who you look just like and I'd be like Maybe she'd say Owen Wilson because I kind of like have the hair and the nose. And <laughs> but I'm from the South. Maybe she'll say Matthew McConaughey because I would do Ma- and the people laugh. I go, she goes, you look like Ellen Generous. It would always fucking kill. <laughs> like <laughs> too, too, like too much. And I was like, wow, I must really look like Ellen Generous. <laughs> Were y'all on, this, on all my children at the same time? Um, I was at late nineties. Late no, oh, I was I was in the two thousands. Okay, early two thousands. Right. I yeah. left New York in 02, right after nine eleven. And then I was like, I'm a serious actor. I'm going to quit. So I quit all my children, Ooh. and uh, and it was just a recurring too. So first of all, why the fuck would you quit a recurring role? Yeah. It's like manna from heaven. Well, you were probably really young. Well, obviously, you were really young. Uh, I was young and, enough. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, you, like I quit because I felt like I was a loser. And meanwhile, oh, I'm you, you know. I were was you a, were you a contract? Um, no, I was just guest star. Uh-huh. But I didn't have my big break, and all my friends from NYU had. Yeah. And I was comparing myself. Of course, so. which is the death but, of, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's what what we did back then. Now, so you I quit doing never, that. You didn't quit. I would never compare myself to all those <laughs> YouTube stars and yeah, Instagram no, you starlets. Can't, you, you can't do it. Just compare yourself to, are, are you getting better? That's what that's you got to compare right. yourself Right. So look at me doing a little inspirational choir. So uh, you, at man. what point did you say, I got to uh, go to L.A.? Were you doing comedy in New York? I was doing comedy in New York. I was doing improv. I was in an improv group. We did improv at Caroline's every Tuesday night. Oh, wow. And that wasn't enough for me. I was just such a little, you know, (laughs) spoiled bitch back then. Um, I would love to have that situation now. But so I I left right after 9-11. I moved to Miami. I quit the business. I got married. I fell in love. Mm -hmm. Got into the wine business, champagne specifically. So you got into the wine business and and in Florida. In Florida, wow. yeah. And it was a great life. Yeah. Making a lot of, you know, it was a very highfalutin lifestyle. Yeah. You were like the ladies who lunch. Ooh, you were. Was I? Well, I would sponsor <laughs> the ladies who lunch, so I would I would enjoy all their perks, yes. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, it, it just... It just I, I'm I'm happy that I had that experience because I I became a business person. Sure. I think that that will come in handy maybe one day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I I just woke up one day and I felt really just not very fulfilled. So yeah. I sold all of my belongings, and including your husband. I, I sold my husband. <laughs> uh, he he's somewhere in Costa Rica. I don't know, and I I don't know where. But was that was that was your uh, divorce kind of 
predicated on this idea that I need to do something more with my life? Um, or was it, con- I mean, uh, maybe it wasn't connected. It was just like. I, he just decided to take solace in tantric practitioners in Chinatown named uh, um, Ivy. So I don't, I don't. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't know see. If, that, if it was that, I don't know if it was. Look, I was a Kundalini not, yoga instructor, I mean, <laughs> so I know all about the tantric practitioners. Wow. Yeah, that's a scam if they're ever yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't, you know, maybe it was innocent. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I decided to just get out of that. Yeah. And, uh. And yeah, I moved uh, to LA about three years ago, and haven't looked back. You haven't looked. You moved to LA, and and how did you get into common in LA? What was your first sort of break? And well, I just started doing all the you know the open mics. Yeah, comedybureau.com. I just did every you single at Wait, what open is that? mic. I don't know what comedy. It's Bureau a it's it's a it's a website for comics to to you know to find uh, what's all the happenings and. And stand up. Oh, wow. all, all the and open mics, right? All the yeah. mics. Yeah. And, and the shows, actually. Yeah. It's a great website. Yeah. If comics are listening. <laughs> and I, I did every single, I mean, I did three, four, sometimes five a night. Oh, wow. And I just entrenched myself. I did nothing, nothing but comedy. And you could afford this because you were booking commercials and that was uh, able yeah, to like, so subsidize Yeah, so I did, I did like these, you know, and commercials used to pay a lot. Oh, but yeah. But now they paid enough just to pay the bills. Just enough, yeah. It's yeah. just ever, yeah, I don't I don't know how I do it every month, <laughs> but I do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so what was your f- sort of first break from doing open mics to like your first paid gig or? Um, let's see, that would be... Um, well, what I learned very quickly is to get paid as a comic, you have to leave L.A. Ah. So I started doing, you know, road shows. And they paid really well, but I was missing auditions. Mm. So now I'm back in L.A. and I'm just doing the Comedy Store, Laugh Factory, um, uh, Flappers, Ice House, you know. All well, those are all main. big yeah, clubs. They're, they're pretty good. Yeah, and were you doing no, they're those, great, but they just were you doing produce shows or open mics? Or were you kind of did you get passed? No, I'm, I'm I'm not passed, but I am um, I am invited into those lineups on a regular basis. But I'm not passed. But yeah, so it's and poor Jeff. <laughs> He goes to yeah, every, so, he so, attends every show. So, so everyone. Yeah. So Jeff, so you uh, you guys started dating. Yeah. And she was <laughs> like, I'm a stand up comic. Right. And you were like, that's pathetic. No, you were like, uh, <laughs> what, what, did, were you, was that something you, I mean, you obviously knew stamp comics. You'd work with stamp comics. Was it something that you thought like, oh no, I'm signing on for a life with a stand up comic or I'm going to be dating? Or was it exciting to you because it was a different world? Well, I know very, very little about the world of stand-up comedy. I did once, Sarah knows this story, but I had a development deal at 20th Century Fox Television after that second show I mentioned, Partners. And I think that, no, 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 actually, no, I had a development deal at Universal at the end of the time that I was doing Dream On. And I developed a show for the Fox Network with a young comic who at the time I believe was 17 or 18 years old. Um, And it was a show about, and I went to see this comic at the Ice House, 20th recommended we go see this guy and I was absolutely blown away by this young comic and so built this whole show around him wrote a script it was a show um, it was called Company 36 and it was about the new recruit at a Brooklyn firehouse and uh, FBC passed on the show the comic was Dave Chappelle oh my god um, but that was dur- that was a time when I and I just was completely. I mean, this was of course, like I said, he was like eighteen or nineteen yeah. years old when we were doing this show, um, and Fox just didn't see it. 
Think about Jesus. that, by yeah. the way, that road. This, yeah. the, the road where Chappelle does a sitcom at 19 yeah. for FBC. An entirely different career ensues. Yeah. But So that was like one of the rare times. I was not one of those TV writers who was spending a lot of time in comedy clubs, seeing stand-ups and trying to sure. the recruit from there. Yeah. Or Roseanne, or I didn't really do that all that much. Yeah. So this is the long answer to your short question. I had spent vanishingly little time in comedy clubs, either personally or professionally. And so when I learned Sarah was a stand-up, my first question was, is she funny? Of because course. I can't. Be you can't with be with an untalented whose, person whose work I don't respect. <laughs> of course, and, and of course, she read some of my scripts, and I'm sure was thinking exactly the same thing. Like, I is was he pretty a nervous? Right? Like, uh, what, what if I read his stuff and it's yeah, terrible? Yeah, so we go friends. Yeah, maybe. Well, it hack. could be terrible. It could have been the bad episode. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, so we were both kind of like checking each other out, right? Yeah. So I went to see her. She was hilarious. She yeah. was hilarious. Where did you see her? At first? It was at the Comedy Store. It was actually in the Belly Room. This show that she appears in called uh-huh. the Shindig Show that Jimmy Shin produces. Uh huh. And uh, and I have gone pretty consistently for the last year. Yeah. And it's really interesting to me because I don't I'm not a performer and I've never, ever been one. I've never had any desire to be one. Um, I have a lot of respect and awe for people who can do it. Um, And I love actors. And I think what stand ups do is just it's awe inspiring to me because I could just not I could not do that. Yeah, I'm. I am funny alone in a room with a piece of paper. Yeah, and but most I, yeah, most comics like, like, wow, get a piece of paper, write it, a script, could, what? The times in my life when I've been called upon to, like, you know, give or receive an award or present something, I have to, like, meticulously write every syllable because I could not. It's so terrifying, and, and it's just not. I'm not a performer at all. So watching what Sarah and other comics do and watching how sets evolve and watching how some people don't change their set yes. for a year and some do and so how people workshop stuff yeah. is just fascinating to me because of course the analog in my life is you know Will and Grace we would rehearse and rewrite and rehearse and rewrite over the course of a week and we yeah. would even rewrite on the stage as we were shooting the show yeah so i recognize that desire to polish things and improve things as much as possible but that was on a show yeah, a writing staff and an audience and so forth. Watching Sarah do it by herself, it's just fascinating. Yeah. To me. So Sarah, as a as a comic, do you have an do you feel an obligation like okay, my boyfriend's coming, I got to do something different. Oh, I don't want to do the same shit every single time. So every every time every you do something, time. the whole set is different. And you know, and a lot of people have um, insinuated that he's writing my material. That Which is I'm, I am, and I am very flattered. What a compliment! I mean, Yo, right? you think it's that good? Is it's friends like worthy. A bigger compliment. I mean, uh, but no, I write all my own material because I'm. I've only been doing this for three and a half years, yeah. and I haven't found my brand yet. Yeah. So I, I feel like I have to. Well, okay, maybe I, think, I found it, but I feel like I have to. Yeah, in the beginning, especially, you have oh, to course. write your own material. And I also think, as as, as a woman finding your brand, it, it may be a slightly different journey than as a man finding your brand. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you you're think right. It's different? And especially, but well, because it, it's evolving, as I mean, it's the, the comedy community is so different. It's vastly different today than it was three three months mm. ago mm. because yeah. of Me Too. Yeah. Yeah. So there are there's there's so much more material. So <laughs> so there's a couple of things I want to ask about that. The, one of the things. So I've I've had relationships and I've been single and I've had some of the best material I feel like I wrote was after a bad breakup, and it was really good material. Um, my threesome bit, which is on Instagram right now, <laughs> came out of that. So um, and uh, then I got in a relationship and I was like, I got to 
now I can't be the single sad sack comic. But I was like, I don't want to give up these great jokes about what it means to be a single man. So I would have like my girlfriend at the time would come to shows and I would talk about being a single guy. Mm. And she was like, well, what the fuck are you doing talking about single guy? I'm in the room. And I was like, well, the alternative for me was this. And this is what I want to ask you was like. I go on stage and I rag about my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to do that because I did that. I lived with a woman one time and I had a joke (laughs) where she moved in with me in New York. And the joke was, um, it's a physical joke, so no one will will be able to see it. But I I said, uh, (laughs) I said, it's very, it was very kind of organic way it happened. It was like, uh, she was like, what's wrong, babe? Oh, wow, the lease came up on your place. Oh, well, maybe you can stay with me for just a few weeks until you find a new place. And she's like sucking my face. And John Lovitz, I opened for him and he saw it. And uh, we're at Greenblatt's and John Lovitz's like, so uh, I saw your boyfriend set. You oh, like no. that joke where he, he he makes you an octopus on his face, sucking his <laughs> life out? <laughs> and she laughed about it. But it was it was something that I was like, wow, I don't want to do that. Because sometimes I'll see comics on stage and they're talking about their relationship or married. Like, yeah, I'm married. It's fucking terrible. I haven't had sex in a year and blah, blah, blah. And and you see their spouse on in the audience, and you're kind of like, are they okay with that? I would rather just be the single guy in my comedy for mm. even when I'm married, but that's very disingenuous. So do you write about Jeff? Is he part of your act? He's part of my act. Okay. We had a discussion about this. Yeah, yes. I want to hear this. Relationship. <laughs> and I said, I mean, because I was married for a long time, and I did roll a lot of the experiences that I had in that relationship into my writing. Yeah. Inevitably, you do. Right. Yeah. And my ex had to put up with sometimes seeing things from our, <laughs> you know, squabbles verbatim in yeah. Will and Grace or Friends or Desperate Housewives. And it was sort of, and I felt like that's a pact you make when you yes. choose to bond yourself to a creative person. And so I remember having a conversation with Sarah early in our relationship, and I said, nothing is off limits. I said, you can say anything you that want. That was the most awesome moment in our wow. relationship. Oh, my God. You're like, your penis is about to go on blast well, right this now. This is the thing. I just said, <laughs> whatever you want to say. I said, if you want to be single like, up this there, is my be guy. single up there. If it's better for your brand to be a single girl on stage, then do but it. But it's not. But if, but, or if you want to talk about me or make fun of me or or If it's anything, not your truth, you know, Bill. Yeah, like of you've course. Got to, yeah. If, if it's not really happening, if it's yeah. not really genuine... It's not going to be funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. the the way I was able to couch was like I will t- when I was single and I could then do all my single jokes. Well, it's right, interesting. Right. It's interesting we're saying this because the reverse happened. You know, I had this show that I went was out and pitching um, a couple of months ago. <laughs> is it okay if I tell? Them yeah, that? this is okay. great. I've never so, heard you talk so about this before. <laughs> I had begun working on this pitch about a year ago, right around the time that Sarah and I met, and. Without getting into pitching the show, it is a show about identity and reinvention. Yeah. And obviously these were things that were very much on my mind because I was in a relationship for 25 years. And then I got out of that relationship and had to sort of rediscover who I was. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that was in this pitch was talking about how now that I'm dating again, there's a certain sort of evaluation that goes on when I'm sitting across from somebody. Like, it isn't just how do I feel about her, but how do I feel about myself in this moment? Yeah. Like, am I am I relaxing into bad patterns that I had from that other relationship? So mm-hmm. there's verbiage in the pitch yeah. that is about this. Yeah. So I send the pitch to Sarah, and I say, just read this and see what you think. And she's like, what do you mean you're dating? <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
It's like, wait a second here. You're not dating. And I said, no, I'm not. But I wrote this when I was. And yeah. well, what, yeah. do you want me to change it or something? Don't you want yeah. me to Yeah, damn do. straight I want you to change it. Yeah, and so I did. You changed it. I changed it. God and I damn said, it, Sarah. Yeah, I changed it because she's right. I shouldn't, like, it's even not, in a pitch, which not is not a performance. He's not going to be able right? to pitch it with, with conviction. That's right. Okay. Bill. You gotta commit with. No, what you said, if only who was it who said only the truth is funny, right? Like only the truth is funny. So she was a hundred percent right that in order for it to be legit, yeah, I needed to talk about a time when I was dating. I'm not dating right now, yeah, but I'm still thinking about these issues of trying to be authentic, and of being course, aware of not relaxing into bad patterns. I do think about those things, yeah. But to characterize myself as a man who at this point in time is dating, I'm not. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. It goes both ways. Yeah. And so I think it was just an, an interesting, not even tacit, like a verbal agreement to be completely honest with each other, both in our work and in our relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. That, well, I, I think about, if you think about like drug addicts, right, who are now sober and they're doing stand up, they talk about their sure. drug addiction. So yeah. it's still authentic because it's a story, it's a fabric of who they are as a person, even though they're not a drug addict now. But the story of the past that shaped who they are. Yeah. So that still becomes authentic if you're talking about that's where you were at the time, right? Yes. But it's just in the past. Yeah. But I just think it's important that you be able to make your art, like whatever it is. So, you know? so then I've got to ask you, Sarah, there must be some joke about Jeff that maybe the first time you did it, you're like, I wonder if he's going to be okay yeah. with this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Give me a good one. Give me okay. a good one. My boyfriend and I are trying to have a baby. He just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and he learned that on stage yes. one learned night. learned it on stage. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, wow. It was fantastic. I just, I mean, I had the laughter of shock and the laughter yeah. because it was funny. I could just, <laughs> I could just picture like a year from now, like, so anyway, uh, I'm, tra- uh, I'm pregnant. And Jeff's yeah. like, what the fuck? That's your opener? I told you. I told you, Jeff. <laughs> it was great. I don't want her to run stuff by me. I really don't. Yeah. I don't I want never her do. to feel in any way like I'm going to censor or inhibit her ability to do what she does. She's an artist. And yeah. I think you've got to be able to just just put it all out there. And I really want that. And if it's ever not, I, the thing I would not want, the thing that would really bum me out is if Sarah felt she had to pull a punch somehow because it would hurt my feelings. No way. Or, yeah. You know. What about you? Like not even when my dad is in the audience, do I hold back? Oh, right. Oh, I well, saw that happen. That yeah. was You know, that, that's actually, that's actually an interesting question because I think that like, I love my parents. They're alive. And I just said in the podcast, I said, well, my mom is alcoholic. And like, I want to hang I out with her. I don't like, I don't like, to say anything that will get back to mom and stuff has gotten back to my mom i did this one bit oh my god it was (laughs) it was about caitlin jenner and i said uh, i said everyone's like oh she's she's so brave what she does you know she's a senior citizen you would have been brave if she transitioned into a woman who was a senior citizen <laughs> and trying to look, and sh- instead of trying to look like a 30-year-old starlet with yeah, a lecker onesie, she, she was. was like, she wore like a college sweatshirt over a diabetes belly. She had let me talk to a manager. <laughs> That's fantastic. She had let oh me talk God, to Bill, a manager haircut. She was on a rascal scooter, like doing power laps around the mall looking for beanie babies. <laughs> Oh, I, I said. I say, if she came, like she came out, looked like my mom. That's what I said. Like with the with the right. sweatshirt of di- uh, oh. 
And my mom does oh. fit those descriptions. And my mom <laughs> oh. is borderline uh, oh. unable to walk. And so she doesn't have a rascal scooter yet, near future. Right. But and she said to me, she, she heard that, because uh, it, it, it was on, I don't know, I guess it, my brother sent it to her, the clip. And uh, and she said to me, she said, Bill, how did, did I tell you I had diabetes? Oh. And I didn't. I didn't know that, and it, it, know. and it, and it yeah. hurt her feelings. And sure. then, wow. and then when I was looking for merchandise, I have this joke about like I don't know if you can tell, but I'm uh, I'm mixed. I'm half white, half trash. <laughs> I go. My dad has a degree. My mom has a mullet because my mom is definitely like the white trash part of the family. Right. And uh, so the shirts say it's like the Miller High Life logo. It says half white, half trash. And I had those back at my place, my parents' place in Huntington. And my mom saw the shirt and she said, isn't that offensive to black people? I'm like, I'm so glad my mom is not getting the joke here. <laughs> but uh, but my dad knew what I was saying. My brothers knew, knew what the joke was. It's a tricky pact that you make with when you choose to allow you, a creative person just, into well, your I, life. I, I, also, a, yeah. I also think like a lot of comics do, do stuff where I kind of go, are your parents dead? Yeah, you know, I, I've thought about that. I, yeah. I, I so, what about your what parents? The, so you well, my, you know, it's interesting because my my dad came to see a show. I was I was in the original room at the comedy store, and I didn't hold back. I told blowjob jokes. I, you know, and I was like, oh shit, you know. And afterwards, I said, like, Did you hesitate at all? Well, it was in the back of my mind. It was in the back of my mind. The following week, I performed at Echoes, and. The following comic, after I, 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 as I was exiting the stage, he said, "I want to smash that pussy," and I thought to myself, "What?" He said it. He said it in the crowd. Oh, a, a, a comic said a that. Comic yeah, a comic said, said, it. said it. Welcome to and the I, comedy store. And I, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I thought to myself, you know what? If my dad were in the crowd now, yeah, that's so much worse. Yeah. And oh, he would have he yeah, probably and he would have rushed the stage. Oh and my, my dad's a scrapper from Flint, Michigan. <laughs> he would have beat the living shit out of the sky. I'm a Jew from the be- Atlanta suburbs, <laughs> and I practically rushed the stage. He would yeah. have beat you know. So it's you know it just yeah we're we're put in these situations these very so you you, know, you think it would sorry I didn't mean to be interviewer for a sec but you yeah. think it would be more upsetting for your dad to hear somebody oh yeah that was way i think god that did not happen while he was in the audience that would have been embarrassing thank god wow well no it would he would have have upsetting it it would have been um it right like (laughs) it would have been in the press wow well (laughs) so i want to touch a a little bit on the on the me too stuff because i imagine that's changed the trajectory for both of you in terms in terms of your work now I know that, like again, Tommy Kale when he was working on Royals, I was like, "How is it in the writers' room at Royals?" Which actually ended up coming under fire, hmm. and not him. He's like the best dude in the world, but he was like, "Yeah, it's like a bunch of dudes we sit around telling dick jokes for three hours, and then we start start writing." So I imagine the writers' room is very much like a bro mentality, and people just kind of uh, can. It seems like there are lots of stories coming out about that women uh, feeling sort of ostracized from that environment. Yes, I yes. think that 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 I mean. I was not on the second season of Friends, and I don't even know if you remember this story, but there was an, there was an incident. Now, remember, this is 20-something years ago. Yeah. Um, a writer's assistant who worked on the show's second season claimed that the jokes that were told in the writer's room on Friends constituted a toxic work environment, and she ended up suing um, mm. 
I think not because she was fired, but but because I don't know whatever because it was a harassing and yeah you know and, you know and it went all the way to the California Supreme Court and she lost. Wow. Um, and the California Supreme Court, and again this was in the late nineties, yeah, concluded that in order to make comedy, we have to find out where the lines are, and sometimes you got to color outside the lines and say really really shitty things, um, so that you can find out where how to get back on the safe side of the line. Yeah. I don't believe that, that 20 years later, I think that lawsuit absolutely would have been decided in her favor. And, oh, would have? And, yeah. I think that, that the rules have changed, and I yeah. think that that's okay. It's difficult for guys like me who came up in a different environment to adjust. Yeah. Because we're accustomed. And it's not just guys, by the way. I just want to say I work with some extremely foul-mouthed women, of too. Course. There's lots and lots of stuff that you could say and do in a writer's room that you can't do now. I had, I'm not going to name names here, but I did have a writer once in a writer's room uh, strip down to her bra to prove a point about how self-absorbed I was in the room <laughs> that I didn't even notice she was sitting next to me in a bra. Uh, you could not do that in a writer's room right now. Of course. As a woman, and you definitely could not as a man say a lot of the things that we were accustomed to saying in rooms. Yeah. Okay? And if you go back and look at the uh, the brief for the California Supreme Court case, there are a lot of things in there that are pretty toxic. Interesting. So... I think the the rules have changed, and I, as I said, I think that's okay. I think self-awareness is a good thing. Um, and I think the fact that particularly privileged white guys are becoming a little more aware of the way in which the, the way they wield language yes. affects their female coworkers, I think it's a great thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not in a writer's room these days, um, but I am aware as a director mm -hmm. that I don't hug women that I work with yeah. anymore. I don't think that it's appropriate to like force physical contact on people who are your coworkers. Yeah. And so I'm a little more aware of that kind of thing. And um and I try and be really careful and respectful. And you know, if some if if an actress wants to hug me after a scene, great. That's great. Yeah. But I am not gonna be the guy pushing that. Yeah. Um and it's hard because I'm a really exuberant kind mm -hmm. of guy but i just don't want anyone to feel that they are being put in a situation where they're uncomfortable yeah and i say you can hug me just don't rape me yes. <laughs> i don't know where the gray area is exactly but it's you between know those that's two. okay sweetie so but now you must but you probably have a very your perspective on this is probably infinitely more valuable than mine. no just just i pretty much just summed it up so I mean, Hug did you? But don't rape you. Well, did your did your stand up change after this, Sarah? Did you feel like it became like you had an obligation as a, as a female comic to address this stuff? Did you yes. feel like your point of view about it is? I I, I often feel that um, there are a lot of comics who are like I can't really say what I really feel about certain things mm -hmm. right now, and I don't know if I feel that way. I kind of say sort of what I want, and sometimes it doesn't really get me in hot water because I'm not famous, but um. <laughs> But no, what I love, I have a new bit where I say I love these guys that are broke as shit that act like they're affected by me too. <laughs> like, you know, like you're 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 living in your parents' basement, bro. Like you're okay. You're gonna be okay. You're, right. It's like it doesn't really concern you. Yeah, yeah. No, so, no, but it's it's interesting um, because even though you know that it is, you know, comics do have um, they have the stage, they have the mic. Yeah. So it doesn't matter, you know, and and they can, you know, they can they can ruin their their reputation really quickly. So as yeah. we know, as we've seen, yeah. And again, it goes back to the idea of you as an artist. You want to be authentic. What you feel like, like for example, we 
talked about this briefly before we started, the Aziz Ansari story. Now, I think now a lot of people kind of go, well, that doesn't really constitute, and some people say, well, that can actually denigrate the movement when a story like that gets so much publicity. Exactly. Um, but there was a time when even if you felt that as a comic, you're not going to go on stage and open with, I actually had to, had to guest host a show called Sweet, which is a very famous alt comedy show in New York City that Seth Herzog runs. And I was the guest host because he was in Paris. It was three days after the Harvey Weinstein thing broke. Wow. Mm. And so I kind of felt like I got to talk about it in yeah. a way. Um, but th- I definitely did not talk about it in a way that was palatable to anybody. I think I did mm. a joke about like about how he jerked off in a plant. And it was like, what about that poor plant? Did that plant <laughs> has no rights. Uh. Just something silly like that. And, and it's funny to me now, but at the time, people were like, how like even saying Harvey Weinstein is like if you go to Germany right now you can't say Hitler it's like Voldemort you say the right. H like I have to have German friends like oh and yeah. then H was from Austria I'm like who's H? oh Hitler I, I we make cartoons jokes. about Hitler in fucking yeah, America I have some Hitler jokes I have some Weinstein jokes yeah but do you feel that's something that you had to kind of get to find a way to navigate that or like rather the gate you're like fuck it here we go yeah no fuck it here we go yeah fuck it here we go what's a good Harvey Let's Weinstein joke um, As a woman, obviously, you have a different, you know, you're... Well, you know, I mean, I... How am I going to climb to the top now? <laughs> <laughs> That's a solid oh. point. <laughs> Do you... I'm just going to play interviewer for a second. Okay. Do you behave differently now? Um, that was that was definitely an edifying... I actually... There's a comic named Jenna Friedman, who is a very funny comic. She wrote for The Daily Show. She was at the show when I was doing my Harvey Weinstein and jokes that were bombing at the show. And she said something like, shut the fuck up. And she was a comic that I had to bring up then. Mm. Oh my God. And she got up on, and I brought her up, she got up and she just ripped into me like white male douche privilege. And when I got back on stage, I was like, uh, Jenna, get back up here. Let's have a conversation. And she, Brilliant. She, she had a she had a the best great, thing you could have done. Yeah, she had a great set, and she did feel a little embarrassed by the fact that she was heckling me during the show. And she was like, you "I should just not have been heckling." Of you. course not. Come on, man. of course not. And and it was cool. We we, but, we made it up, but yeah. it was you know, at that time that was one of the most fraught times. So you called her up. I did call her up. Did we it go a, well? Well, the converse, it's funny because the conversation, like all of her kind of like machismo with the microphone about like "fuck you, Bill," you do you know. It evaporated because she just killed. And once you get that right. adrenaline rush that, like, you get validated by your material, she's like, she felt better. And she kind of was able to say, well, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I just kind of, like, you know. And, and then we had a pretty, like, interesting conversation. And uh, I thought I that was really great for yeah. the stage, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'll never forget that. But in terms of, I, I guess I feel like if I have a point of view, sometimes I have to Trojan horse it a little bit. You know what I mean? If if I want to say that something like I here's a perfect example. I do a long. I, I have a framing device is about going on a date with a vegan, and <laughs> and and vegans are a great way to sort of talk about how liberal white women can be really fucking annoying and and they can be <laughs> fucking things up. But you're talking about a vegan, right. so you're not really saying you're not making it political, but it is kind of political, you know. Completely. I saw <laughs> I saw this bit on Monday night at the Laugh Factory, and I have to say, Bill, you are so engaging. 
you are a wonderful comic. Oh, and I know you, you know, but I'm just gonna. <laughs> no, I sometimes I don't know. Reinforce that you. Everyone needs to go see Bill Dawes. Oh, thank seriously, you. you that w- it was such a strong lineup. Thank you for the invite. I had a blast. And it's just sometimes it's nice to go to shows where you're not in the lineup and you can relax. Yeah, and, you know, and just kind of like really observe. And we get caught up in our. Yeah, you know, and I I do a lot of the same lineups very mm-hmm. often and i you know so it's nice for me to get out yeah and thank yeah. you for the oh it yeah. was great yeah I, well i i, I, I think time. that in particularly monday like i was just having mm-hmm. fun. i think if you are having fun and you're really just having a joy of performing and even, yeah. even if the jokes have a little bit of like twinkle in your eye because i have a joke that is pretty uh, where i say <laughs> trump said make <laughs> i still feel i'm still on the fence about this <laughs> joke <laughs> I go. Trump said, "Make America great again." And people were like, "Yeah, Trump said." I was like, "He's like, he didn't. What is he talking? You know, in America was great. America was great when you could push a woman's head a little bit. Not, not a, guys, <laughs> not a lot, not like, a lot. But this is, but a little, but not a lot. But this is what we were talking about in my podcast, uh, Jimmy and Sarah on the Sunset Strip. I hope, I hope I can <laughs> give me a plug. But uh, you were, you were on this past Sunday, and you. Um, we were talking about misogynism uh-huh. in our sets, within our sets, and women do it too. Sure, I think it's okay as long as it's not directed at anyone, anyone specific. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, I think what you did was perfectly okay and yeah. really funny. Which is uh, ultimately that's what you want. You just want that's as it. Long as you just make people... be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long as it's funny, no one cares. Yeah, that's true. I definitely find situations where sometimes I'm like, oh, this is look at all these like older people. I should be nice and be G-rated. And I start being G-rated, and the minute they look at me like this, I go, I'm going to be a fucking douche. (laughs) (laughs) And I just double down my dirtiest material. I'm like, I'm going to be clean. I'm doing my dirtiest stuff. Um, well, that's great. You got you look. This I think uh, we've talked about a lot. You guys are awesome. We should probably. I know you have some. You have an event to go to, so we should start wrapping. Is there anything that you guys want to you want to plug or anything that you have coming up? Um, one with a strop. Um, when will this drop? What are we, rappers? Um, <laughs> yeah. When am I going to drop I don't know. That's the, the producer, Tommy Wakefield, over there, by the way. Um, Hi. This will drop. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Well, you guys are nice fascinating, so I definitely too. want to fast track it. Let's say it'll drop in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Okay. So, um, okay, next couple of weeks, I'm at Flappers, December 20th. And um, I have a, a new show called Broken Psalm coming out in January. Broken Psalm? Broken Psalm, as in Broken Sommelier. Oh, okay. It's like a one-person show? It's Yes. Well, I'm a host. It's a talk show, and I talk oh, to okay. other um, wine enthusiasts, and it's a little bit of a uh, self-deprecating, very irreverent kind of tone about the wine business. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very cool. And you have a big social media following. How did your social media following come about? I did that myself, I have to say. It's one thing, yeah. I, I, you work, you work. I, I work on my social media, minimum one hour a day. Wow. And um, I just decided to take the bull by the horns and just try to create interesting. St- I, actually, I don't think it's interesting, but <laughs> I have no idea why people follow me. And if you look at my followers, it's usually just like a, a majority of my followers are the Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't, I don't know how I got in their click, but that's that's what it is. Hey, find your so, audience. But you know, you know yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's my brand. They're <laughs> looking for great. blondes. I don't know. It's like a, to join their group. I, love that. I don't. 
And how about you, Jeff Greenstein? Okay. What do you have working on? Uh, I'm going to be directing the season finale of The Neighborhood. Nice. On CBS. Uh, so I guess look for that sometime next year. And I have this new show on a network I can't tell you yet with an actress <laughs> I can't tell you about. Uh, it is called Geographical. Yeah. That is the name of the show. Okay, Geographical cool. is the name of the show. So when that appears, you can link it to me in your mind. And and I'm a big fan of Sarah's podcast, which I think you talked about. Did you uh, plug Jimmy your and Sarah on the Sunset Street. That's yes, awesome. Really well, guys, good. look, it's so nice to, nice to meet you, Jeff. Just, I just met you, too. So I consider you guys friends now. I hope yeah, I, yeah. I see you again. I hope what you can nice come back. ambiance. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for, for having, having us. Yes, yeah, thank anytime, you. anytime. Uh, thank anyway. you for letting me crash the party. Of too. course, you're the best, man. All right, thank you so much. That is Bill Dawes signing off from The After Laugh. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs> <laughs>